Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Well, in the last day's newsletter, Leonard Ravenhill tells about a group of tourists visiting a picturesque village who walked by an old man sitting beside a fence. In a rather patronizing way, one tourist asked, Were there any great men born in this village? The old man replied, Nope, only babies. A frothy question brought a profound answer. There are no instant heroes, whether in this world or in the kingdom of God. Growth takes time. Have you ever noticed that the way that some people hide their kindness? Fred Allen, an American comedian writer, would always hide behind his own cynicism after, after performing a kind act. One time, Allen rushed out and grabbed a newsboy about to be hit by a truck. Needing to protect himself from the threat of being called kind, Allen commented, What's the matter, kid? Don't you want to grow up and have troubles? Growing up to face troubles. We all face troubles. We all face hardships, disappointments, hurts of many kinds. How are we to best face them? Do we hide from them? Do we face off and battle with our hardships? Sometimes it feels like the hardships are crushing. One more will do us in. Maybe you feel that way today. The Bible does not promise freedom from hardship, but it does offer a new perspective for the Christian. Our text today comes from James chapter 1, and it talks about counting it all joy when you meet trials. Hardship, when endured in the name of Christ, will bring about maturity, beauty, and glory. Trials are often anything but joyful, but the Christian is called to approach trials with joy, letting the power of Christ redeem trials by bringing forth steadfastness and maturity in the believer's life. In short, the Christian responds to trials with joy over the eternal reward that is wrought when faith endures through hardship. Let's read the text. It's James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. That's what the ESV version of the text reads, the English Standard Version. I remember reading these words as a new Christian when I was in high school in the NIV, and it said, consider it pure joy. I didn't always want to consider tough things pure joy. And admittedly, these words can be both encouraging, consider pure joy, and puzzling, even maddening at times. But we need to realize that the joy is not in the trial, but in the transformation. There are times when I have read James 1 verse 2 with people, and the response is understandable disbelief. Why should I be happy when I face trials? My life has been too hard. I, I can't handle one more difficult thing. It's easy to misread verse 2. Count it all joy. It's often misread in two ways. First, that the joy we experience in trials is an emotion of happiness. Too often we mistake artificial happiness with biblical joy. Why do I say artificial happiness? Why not just happiness? I say artificial 
but perhaps forced is the right word. Some people believe that to attend church and to worship God and to be a Christian, they must be happy, and that the sign that they have worshipped God well is that they feel happy afterwards. I hope that giving God praise lifts your soul, and that meeting with other Christians encourages you, and that encountering the presence of the living God fills you with wonder. But a feel-good experience is not the same as joy. God desires that we worship Him in all situations, not just when we feel good. Church, we need to be able to under we need to be able to worship when we grieve. We need to be able to speak the truth of God when life makes no sense. We need to be able to sit in His wondrous presence when nothing about ourselves or the world around us feels wondrous. You have permission, the permission of God, to come into His presence when you are troubled, when you're angry, when you're worried, when you're full of fear. Our worship is best when we are honest, and that frankness will allow God to work all the more powerfully in our lives. Think for a moment if a person is heartbroken, and they come to church seeking a touch from God. They, they want to be refreshed. They want to be relieved of this heartbrokenness. Are they better able to receive that touch, that refreshment, if they say, well, you know what? I'm supposed to be happy as a Christian, so I'll put on a smile. I'll put on an outward mask, and I'll act in the way that I think everybody expects me to act. If they come to worship with their heart like that, I don't think that they'll have a very authentic experience. But if they're willing to come heartbroken or heart unguarded and open, they may be sorrowful and other people might not know how to respond and that might be awkward. But such an openness and an unguardedness gives permission for God to work mightily. So joy in trials is not an artificial or forced happiness. It's not an emotion as we often understand it. Craig Bloomberg, writing on this passage, describes biblical joy as less of an emotional response and more as a settled contentment in every situation. Now, that's something to think about. The trials of life might be hard, but James is asking us uh, where our contentment is. If it's in Jesus or if that contentment is somewhere else. If it's in Jesus, then that contentment can never be shaken. And if it's somewhere else, if your contentment is in your marriage or in your children or in your work... Unfortunately, those things can be shaken. Another way people misread count it all joy is this. Many believe that it is the trials that should make us joyful, and that's just simply not true. We all know that trials and hardships are not joyful. They're not desirable. This is doubly true in James, where the trials in mind are the persecutions because of faith, hardship because of poverty. Uh, the Christians that he's writing to are excluded because of their low social status. They are poor. And, and often, poverty and low social status came with the Christian faith. When a person became a Christian, they were often pushed away from their family and friends. And maybe you feel that way, but it was even more so in the first century. For the Christian, a trial has the potential to produce everlasting fruit. So it's not the trial that brings joy, but the fruit that brings joy. For the non-Christian, you might rise to the occasion, you might be remembered as a hero, you might suffer and bear a burden too difficult, but for the non-believer, no matter how they handle a trial, there is no eternal gain. But for the Christian, there can always be the hope of an eternal gain because something can be wrought in it that will be pointing towards heaven. You can count it all joy when you face trials because you can know that Jesus can redeem the hardship that you're facing with everlasting life. And that is where we find the joy. 
not in the trial, but in the resulting transformation that God brings about. James is not telling us how to feel, but how to think. He's telling us that when we face trials, think eternally. Think of how God will do something new in you through this trial. The command to act with joy is a call to place our trust not in the trials, but in the promise of heaven. But then that leads us to another idea to deal with, not just in the joy uh, not in the trial, but the transformation, but also in the, the trials produce maturity. That's the second idea I want you to walk away with. Trials produce maturity. As I mentioned earlier, everyone who faces trials and hardships can hope that something good will come out of it, but only the Christian can hope that anything eternally good can come from our trials. James is writing to the early church, who is under enormous pressure. They're facing ridicule and ostracism, even abuse for their faith. In all cases, the struggle they face is unjust, and in the moments of injustice, it is incredibly tempting to give up or to return injustice with revenge. Jesus calls, or James calls the early church and us instead to see the trials we face as the place where we grow and mature as disciples. Maturity is truly what is being described here. Many translators use the word perfect, and that is not wrong, that you may be perfect and complete. But the word is bigger than just simply perfect. The Greek word for perfect is teleos, which does mean perfect, but it's more about completeness than flawlessness. American perfection just revolves around the idea of being flawless. But biblical perfection, as far as the church is concerned, is about wholeness and maturity. It's about growing up, the completion of which is realized, that, that completion is realized when we get to heaven. Shirley Conrad says this, and it's a pointed phrase, hard to swallow. You're never too old to grow up. All of us have more room to grow up no matter how old we are. And many of us avoid things that are uncomfortable. And when we avoid these things, we stunt our growth in those areas. Right now, me as Pastor Josh, I'm in a place in life where I need to get healthy. I need to lose weight. I need to exercise. And you know what? Healthy eating is just not fun for me. So I avoided it. And I ate whatever I wanted. Exercise, not fun for me. So I avoided it and I did whatever I wanted. So while I might be mature in many parts of my life, I am the equivalent of a kindergartner when it comes to eating and exercise. I avoided it and I never grew up there. And now I'm trying to fix that. Do you have an area of life that you've been avoiding because you made, it made you uncomfortable? Maybe it's a work ethic, how you relate to family or avoiding conflict. As much as you avoid these areas, you run the risk of stunting your growth. You know, babies are truly a wonderful treasure. Have you ever noticed that there are things that babies do that are cute that would not be cute if they did those things as a teenager or adult? Lots of parents like to get a cake or a cupcake and let their little one have a field day with it on their first birthday. How cute they are when they spread the icing between their fingers and they get it on their cheeks and into their ears and into their hair and sometimes on the wall. Oh, how wonderful that little one or two-year-old is having an incredible sensory experience. But if you... As a 16 or 20 or 40 year old sat down in a restaurant and proceeded to squish your meal between your fingers and into your hair, you'd likely gross everyone out. It is important to grow 
and mature. And in the same way, it is important to grow and mature as a Christian. The ethics and character we have as a baby Christian, when we're figuring everything out, should be different from when we have been a Christian for 5, 10, 20, or 60 years. Is your prayer life the same as when you first began as a Christian? Is your Bible study and and your devotion to reading the Bible the same as when you first began being a Christian? New Christians, they need a lot poured into them. Mature Christians don't need so much. They become the ones who help other new Christians grow. Where are you at? Do you have a lot of need and so you're poured into, or are you helping others to grow? We need to grow, and one of the best places we grow is in hardship and in trials. Mildred White uh, Struven writes these words, A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. I'd never tell you to revel in hardship or to seek it out. I know that we all have to go through some very difficult trials of life that will cause grief and pain. I wish none of us ever had to experience them, but please choose in the midst of trial to turn your thoughts to Jesus, that he could redeem the hardship by growing your Christian character and making you mature in faith. That leads me to the final point today. That a key virtue for growing up is steadfastness. That's what James writes about. He says that steadfastness, that endurance must complete its work so that we may be perfect and complete. Boy, that steadfastness is so important. Whether you want to call it steadfastness or perseverance or endurance, or we could even throw in the word patience. This character trait is essential for the Christian and it's essential for the maturing, growing Christian. It is so hard to wait. Endurance, steadfastness, patience, they must all do their work in us, and we must slowly let them do their work in us. Romans 5, 3 through 5 tell us this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hebrews 10.36 says this, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We need to have endurance, perseverance, patience in our lives so that we grow as Christians. Charles Swindoll says this about patience. True patience is waiting without worrying. When James calls us to steadfastness, he doesn't just call us to hunker down and worry and fill ourselves with anxiety till the trial passes. He asks us to grab onto Christ and put our trust in him despite the trial. Don't worry on it. Wait without worrying. C.S. Lewis says this, I'm sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to wait. And Erwin Lutzer writes these words, The work that God does in us when we wait is usually more important than the thing for which we wait. Mm. Very, very true. Endurance and patience make us better able to handle the troubles of this world. Cornelius Plantiga offers a mechanical picture of patience. I think it's a good one for us to hear. He says this, Patience is like a good motor oil. It doesn't remove all the contaminants. It just puts them into suspension so they don't get into your works and seize them up. Patient people, so to speak, have a large crankcase. They can put a lot of irritants into suspension. 
I have a feeling more of us need to be less cranky and more of that big crankcase full of oil putting all those irritants into suspension. Craig Bloomberg writes these words, Endurance is faith stretched out. Mm. In other words, faith held on to over time. That is endurance. And I like these words from William Barclay when it comes to endurance. Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. What a picture that is, turning a hard thing into glory. And that is the maturity of a Christian. Please do not walk away today saying, well, I guess I just need to be more patient. I I have to have more endurance. We need to be Christ-like. That's the point. Patience and endurance through hardship allows the Holy Spirit to work into us the character of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-12 says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I am reminded that any time I face a trial, any time you face a hardship, you have the opportunity to become Christ-like. The way we face the hardships of life can be eased when we do so with the attitude of Jesus. We also become powerful witnesses when we choose to imitate Jesus instead of being filled with despair. So I want to come back to the terms redemptive, redemption, and glory. In no way can I say that I know how to turn every situation to glory or to find its redemptive moment. We all know there are hardships that are very difficult, but we would do well as we endure hardship to seek how to inject redemption into the struggle and turn frustration into the glory of God. It is easy to turn to anger, or revenge, or bitterness, it often feels good to turn to those in a moment. But in the end, we are far better off, and our families and our neighbors and co-workers and communities are far better off when we think heavenward in our trials, and when we act with redemptive hope towards others, and when we seek above all that God would be glorified. Let us pray. Give us, O Lord, steadfast hearts, which no unworthy thought can drag down, Unconquered hearts, which no tribulation can wear out. Upright hearts, which no unworthy purpose can tempt aside. Bestow on us your understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, and wisdom to find you, and faithfulness that finally may embrace you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.